This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. This morning, we're going to be hearing about the issue of anger in a man's life. And I'm excited because uh, I have a good friend of mine. Uh, uh, my friend Mike is uh, here this morning from Pennsylvania. It's a little warmer there, we found out. It was 80 degrees. He got off the plane and he goes, this is Wisconsin, huh? <laughs> it's a little chilly here, you know? And he was wondering why I moved here. But <laughs> anyways, I want to reassure you, this morning we did vet him appropriately. He is a Packers fan. Um, we knew that coming in here. But Mike originally, he's from New Jersey. Uh, Mike's got a great testimony of, uh, actually, uh, he uh, met the Lord after growing up as a, as a Catholic, grew up in a Roman Catholic family and so forth uh, out there in New Jersey. He's got a, a lot of really great stories. Uh, hopefully, maybe some of you got to meet him this morning at the breakfast table or uh, maybe last night and whatnot. Anyways, encourage you to get to know him. Uh, he actually has a book uh, that's been published, and it's going to be in the back. I invite you to check that out afterwards uh, before you go. Uh, I personally read the book, enjoyed it, recommend it uh, to, uh, to yourselves. But anyways, um, as Mike comes this morning, uh, listen, I want you to realize that I could tell to you about all kinds of qualifications and credentials of his, but the two things I want you to know about him is he loves Jesus, he's my friend. Those are the two things that define Mike in my eyes, and I hope uh, that you will find this morning's talk scriptural and helpful. So give Mike a warm welcome as he comes up. Guys, it's great to be here with you. I feel like I'm at a honey lodge, but I smell the fresh. You know, you guys renovated this place, and I'm eating thick-cut bacon. It's awesome. I love that kind of stuff. My son, my older son, I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. My older guy loves to hunt, loves to shoot things. He said when he was four years old, Dad, I want to live someplace where I can walk out the front door. He literally said this. He was reading an American Hunter magazine. There was a wild boar on the cover. He's flipping through this thing. What is that? That's a wild boar. And then he says, uh, he puts the magazine down. He says, I want to live someplace someday where I can walk out the front door and shoot something. He said that when he was four years old. So he's a hunter. Some things in commonality here. Um, John Valley, a great guy, great guy. I, I had the opportunity when I was pastoring. To, he was a pastor at the church where I was uh, at. And Pastor Brian apparently has integrity because he called me up before he said anything to John to ask me if he could talk to him. And I said, yes, you can, and have regretted it ever since then. <laughs> Two things I would say about John is that he loves Jesus and he's my friend. I'm proud to say that. And I know that you guys are in good hands. If that's the caliber of pastor that you have and that's the caliber of the person that you hang out with, then you guys are in good hands. This is a quality man. He's the genuine, real deal, real article. So you guys are blessed to have that kind of a guy and to be in this kind of a church you are. You are. I know you're probably wondering, I've seen this guy before. You're looking at me and you're saying, I've seen this guy before. I've seen this guy before. Well, if you've been here for any length of time for the past couple of weeks and you've, you've used the men's room, as you stood at the urinal, I was the, the guy staring back at you on that poster. So now the mystery is revealed. I'm that guy and here we are together. I was born in New York, raised in New Jersey, and coming out here, I was reflecting on uh, my uh, 
whole life and my experiences with my family and traveling in different parts of the world. And I was thinking about these three guys, these three brothers named Vincent, Michael, and Peter. And they had a mother who was approaching her 90th birthday party. And they, it was a birthday party that they were throwing for her, obviously, because it's your 90th. They want to have a big celebration. Their mother was a Christian woman, loved reading the Bible, very devout, very sincere, had a profound impact on each of her sons, and they wanted to throw a really big bash for their mother. So each one of them was planning to get a special gift for their mother as well. Well, the older one, Vincent, decided that he was going to get a Tesla Model X SUV with all of the upgrades valued at over $130,000. He paid for it with cash. Not only that, because he was wealthy, he decided to get a chauffeur for her as well. Because the problem that his mother had is that she could not see any longer. Her eyesight had gone. You can imagine, you know, when you get older, you either tend to have mind problems or you have body problems, and sometimes you have both. Well, their mother had both, but she could not see, so she needed a chauffeur as well. Well, Peter decided, the youngest one, he decided that he was going to get his mother a mansion, someplace where she could live that had a luxurious layout, a wonderful, you know, fully furnished type of a thing where she could enjoy herself in the final days of her life. This presented a huge problem for the middle child whose name, like me, was Michael because he was neither wealthy nor too sharp. And so for weeks leading up to this party, he's trying to figure out what was he going to do? How was he going to possibly compete with his brothers? He didn't have the money, didn't have the intelligence. And one day he's walking down the street and he sees a pet shop, wanders into this pet shop just to kill some time. He's obviously dejected and depressed, spends about maybe 10 minutes there. On his way out, he passes the clerk at the counter. And the clerk says, excuse me, sir, could I help you with anything? He says, no, can't help me with anything. He says, but you look a little bit dejected. He says, well, I am a little bit dejected. My mother's 90th birthday party's coming, and my brothers are both giving her elaborate gifts, and I can't keep up with that, and there's, I've been racking my brain. I don't have the money or the creativity. I don't know what to do. The guy goes, tell me a little bit about your mother. He says, well, she's a Christian, and uh, she's having problems with her eyesight, a wonderful woman. He says, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. Your mother is a Christian, right? Yeah. Does she like reading the Bible? She loves reading the Bible, but she can't do it anymore. Okay. I've got the perfect gift for your mother. Follow me. So he takes him through the pet shop, to the back where there's a door, opens up the door, takes him downstairs, and it's completely dark, flicks on the light, and there in the corner, in the far corner, the clerk points, and he says, there's your gift for your mother. He says, what, are, are you out of your mind? Because there in the corner, in this cage, in the basement, was a parrot. Not a very impressive-looking parrot, but a parrot. I says, what is my mother going to do with a parrot? He says, you don't understand. Looks are deceiving. That's not just any parrot. That is a Christian parrot. And so Michael says, what are you talking about, Christian parrot? He says, listen, all you need to do is recite any Bible verse. Give the chapter and the verse, and that parrot will quote that chapter and that verse. Not only will it quote it, it can do it in any modern translation that you want. <laughs> New International Version, English Standard Version, New American Standard, Original King James, New King James. It even has transliterations and paraphrases, including the message. Michael's beside himself. He says, I don't believe you. He says, go ahead, try it. So he does. From Genesis to Revelation, he spends 10 minutes just, just blurting out chapters and verses, and the parrot doesn't even blink an eye, blurts out the verses word perfect. He says, that's it. This is fantastic, because now 
my mother can do her times in the Bible, even though she can't read it anymore, she can cite the chapter and the verse to this parrot. Do you understand the connection? Am I connecting the dots clearly enough for you? All he has to do is tell this parrot which chapter and verse to read, and the parrot will, will recite it for her, and she can then have her Bible time without being able to read. Michael leaves that pet shop on cloud nine. The mother's birthday party comes and goes. It was a fantastic, amazing event. Two weeks after the birthday party, Vincent goes to his mailbox, pulls out an envelope that he didn't really recognize, and he begins to read it. And he says, and the letter reads like this, Dear Vincent, I want to thank you so much for the amazing time that you gave me for my birthday party, my 90th birthday party. He realizes it's obviously a letter that had been written by somebody else on behalf of his mother. I want to thank you for being a wonderful son all these years and for the birthday party, but you really don't understand me. I really don't want to get around too much these days. That car was wonderful, but I sold it, and I fired the chauffeur. Love, Mom. The next day, Peter goes to his mailbox, pulls out an envelope that looks strikingly similar to the envelope that Vincent had, opens it up, and there is a transcribed letter within from his mother as well that says, Dear Peter, I want to thank you so much for your love and your affection for me through these years and what you did for me on my birthday party. It's really amazing, the affection and the love that you express for me, but you really don't understand me. What am I going to do at Imagine these days? So I decided to put it up on the market and sell it. The very next day, Michael goes to his mailbox, pulls out an envelope that looks just like the envelope that his brother Vincent and his brother Peter had received, opens it up, and there is a transcribed letter from his mother that starts off by saying, Dear Michael, I want to thank you so much for your love and your affection for me all through these years and the wonderful birthday party you threw for me. It's obvious that you love me, obvious that you care for me, and obviously, unlike your brothers, you understand me. I really thank you for the gift that you gave me. Thank you so much. That chicken was delicious. <laughs> that is a problem with eyesight. That's a significant problem with eyesight. But you know, far worse than having a problem with your eyesight is to have a problem with vision. Helen Keller said, far worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Far worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Do you have a compelling vision for your life? Do you understand how you want your life to end? Now, life, in some sense, can be what happens to us when we're making other plans. There are all kinds of things. I can tell you that as a cancer survivor, I've had four experiences, four brushes with death, one of which was about with cancer with a softball-sized tumor in my chest. There can be things that happen in our lives that we don't expect, we don't anticipate. But you have to be very careful that you don't mistake faith for fatalism. Whatever will be, will be. You have no say in what happens in the course of your life. You do have a say in what happens in the course of your life, and one of the things you have a say in is the vision that you either have or do not have for your life. You need to have a compelling vision for your life. You need to know where you want to end up. You need to know what you want your life to look like when it's over. You might be young now, but if you have the fortunate ability to have great health, if you get blessed with great health and you live a long life, you will one day be an old person. And then in the twilight of your life, you will be able to look back and to reflect on your relationships, on the things you did, the things you didn't do. And then it will be too late to think about a vision for your life because the majority of your life will already have been passed. 
But I don't want you to be discouraged. No matter how much life you have left, it's never too late to readjust what you're doing and to grasp a vision for however many days or weeks or years you might still have. Far worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. You need to have a clear vision for your life about what kind of person you want to be, how you want to be able to interact with other people, what kind of impression you want to leave with other people when you're out of their immediate presence and one day when you're gone and the only thing left will be your legacy. And that's why the topic of anger is such an important topic. I want to spend the remainder of our time together talking about the destructive power of anger and what you can do to root it out of your life. Because my friends, if you don't deal with the anger in your life, the anger will deal with you. It will do a number on you, and if you're married, it will do a number on your wife. If you have children, it will do a number on your children. If you're interacting with anybody and everybody, life is relationships, eventually you're going to interact with a human being. You're going to, for those of you who are geeks, you're going to interface with a human being. Eventually it's going to happen. And if you have an unresolved or a series of unresolved anger issues in your life and you don't deal with them, the anger will deal with you and it will overflow. The dam will one day be breached. It might be in a perpetual state of being breached. The waters that spill out as a result of that anger that's unresolved will flood the lives of the other people around you. You need to be able to recognize the destructive power of unrighteous anger, inappropriate anger, and know how to root it out of your life. And I am a firm believer that the Bible is such a book that man couldn't write if he would and would not write if he could. The Bible is the compass that you should be using in the course of your life for everything. It's a guidebook. It's not a book just written by people. It's a book that no people could write in and of themselves. There's no book that's been written like the Bible, 66 books with dozens of authors over hundreds of years with unified themes. There's nothing even remotely like it. It's a book given by God in a partnership between God and man. People might say, well, I believe that man messed up the Bible. Then you don't have a big enough, clear enough vision of God. Your God is too small. If God loves you, and he does, then certainly he has the power and the capability, if he designed you, to know how to communicate with you in a way so that no mere mortal would corrupt what he wants to communicate. In the book of James, in chapter 1, it says this. In our God's word, in our Lord's word, it says this. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick, slow, slow. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Really important what he says here. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Listen, if God desires it, you want it. If God desires it, you want it. 
And what God desires for you and for me, you may re realize this to, to one degree or another, but as you get older, as you get wiser, remember life isn't just about how much time you spent on the earth, it's how, how much life you're living in the midst of your time, how much you're really growing in wisdom. As you get older, you begin to realize that the only thing that really matters in life is what God desires. And if God desires it, spare yourself. You want it. If God desires it, don't debate with God. Don't wrestle with God. Nobody's ever resisted God and come out a winner. If God desires it, you want it too. The issue is how passionately do you want it? How deeply do you want it? Imagine what your life might be like if you committed all of your resources, all of your energy, all of your focus, all of your time, all of your strategizing, all of your thinking, all of your planning, if you've devoted everything toward making sure that what God desires in your life is fulfilled. In other words, don't just dream about it, don't just think about it, make it happen. Make it happen, adjust your life, make changes in your life so that what God desires becomes your passion as well. So that what God desires isn't in any way, shape, or form hindered from becoming a reality in your life. Listen, if God desires it, you want it. And one of the things that God desires for you, see there's some, there are other people listening right now, but this message is for you. It just so happens that somebody else is eavesdropping on what God wants you to hear. One of the things that God wants in your life is that you live a righteous life. That you live a righteous life. And that whenever anger comes your way, whenever anger rises up within you, you're able to make a distinction between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. The Bible doesn't say, the Bible's the best commentary on itself, so the Bible doesn't say, you might come to this conclusion just by reading James, that all anger is wrong. If that was the case, then Jesus would have sinned when he overturned the tables of the money changers outside the temple. The Bible's not saying that all anger is wrong. It's saying that there is a distinction between certain anger that is unrighteous and God does not desire. And there are other types of anger that when you get angry, be careful it does not become unrighteous. Be careful it doesn't morph. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible's the best commentary on itself, and therefore I use the Bible to interpret the Bible. You do well to do the same thing. Here you have a different writer, Paul, in a different book, Ephesians, speaking about the same subject, anger, that James, in chapter 1, a different person was speaking about that I just referenced. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 26, the apostle Paul is giving a list of sins, and then he gets this particular sin and the potential of it, and this is what he says, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. And there it is. There are opportunities, times in our lives when anger can rise up, and then it's a question of whether or not you're going to let that anger morph into sinful behavior. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Did you know that Anger that is expressed in a sinful way, unrighteous anger, or anger unrighteously expressed. Anger that is expressed in a way that is contrary to the life that God desires, the life that you want, opens the door to satanic activity. I don't need to defeat you in battle by overcoming every body part.
I don't need to punch you in each eye, stick my fingers up both nostrils, pull off your ears, and work my way down your entire body to your chin and to your neck and to your shoulders and each arm and each finger to your waistline with the love handles, kick you in the groin, kick you in the backside, and work my way all the way down in order to defeat you. All I need to do is get a foothold. All I need to do is take a hold of your little toe. That's all I need. If you will take off your shoe, left shoe or right shoe, I don't care, you get to choose, and take off your sock, and just give me permission. Just allow me to have permission of just your little toe. If you will just allow me to tie a string around that thing and do whatever I want with it, I can affect every aspect of your life. I will affect your coming. I will affect your going. I will affect your getting up, your laying down. I will affect your freedom in every way. And I will affect the righteous life coming forth that God desires in your life. What am I? I am unrighteous anger. When you give the devil a foothold, that's all he needs. Every aspect of your life can be affected. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. If you allow your anger to morph into becoming unrighteous anger, if you have unresolved anger issues, what can happen in your life is that every area of your life can be affected. Your vision that we just planted a seed for, having a compelling life vision, the kind of vision that God desires and that you want, it can actually be undermined. Do you know that you can actually be sabotaging yourself you can be sabotaging your family. You can be sabotaging the workplace. You can be sabotaging your neighborhood. You can sabotage everything that God wants. I don't understand it. You don't understand it. We won't fully understand it until we see God face to face. Every one of us will. The Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The truth is that if you allow an unresolved issue such as anger, to spill into other areas of your life, your entire life, your legacy, your experience of what God desires in your life will be hindered. I found in years of pastoral ministry and years of personal examination and being over two dozen countries around the world on four continents, I found that we're all the same, really. You can have nine out of ten areas of your life that are in great shape. Nine out of ten areas of your life that are firing on eight cylinders, but it's that one area of life that's out of whack where you're firing on maybe seven or six or five or less cylinders out of the eight. Excuse me, uh, Elon Musk, for not referring to an electric vehicle. But it's that one area of life that you don't tend to that can be a welcome mat for the devil. And let me tell you something. Don't play with the devil. Don't let him play with you. The devil's vision is found in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I've come to give life and give it to the fullest, abundant life. That's God's vision. That's what he desires for you. The thief, 
The devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil doesn't want to play with you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to steal what God either has graciously given you already or what he wants to give you. But you can be sabotaging yourself if you have an issue with anger, an unrighteous issue with anger, or in opportunities where your anger might be appropriate, you allow that anger to morph and to be expressed in ungodly, unrighteous, inappropriate ways. When I was a much younger man, my parents went through an incredible divorce, and I don't mean incredible as in great, I mean incredible as in unbelievable. It took years leading up to the actual divorce, and there were years afterward, repercussions, ripple effects of how terrible that divorce was. They were married for 32, 33 years. You gotta be careful that you think that just because you've been married a long time, that that means your marriage is a healthy marriage. The longer you're married, the more in danger you could be of that marriage dissolving or of living alone together. There are many marriages that are two people simply coexisting. The love of your life became a love-hate relationship. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse has been given to you by God. And you might say, well, I didn't know what I was doing then. Neither did she. But God did. If you said, I do, then do it. After 32, 33 years, this divorce came, and I was upset with my dad. Didn't have a very close relationship with my father. You know anybody who didn't have a particularly close relationship with their dad? You know anybody like that? And I went to see my father one day because he was saying, unbelievable things in public about my mother that were disturbing and untrue and defamatory and I wanted to go and see him and tell him number one that I wasn't afraid of him it was a big factor in our family being afraid of my dad my mom being afraid of her own husband and so I went to see him at his office at 124 West Washington Avenue in Washington New Jersey 07882 you can google it and find it for yourself and I walked in the front door, and he came to see me in the front because he had to greet somebody he knew had come into the front door. I went to see my dad, and we went into the back, and I hadn't seen him for probably at least a year or so. We went into the back, began to talk, and he began to tell these exaggerated stories that began to make my blood boil, and I realized it's time for me to leave. So I excused myself and began to walk down the long hallway to the front door again to get out of that environment. And my dad made the mistake of saying something about my mom that's not worthy of being repeated, and I wouldn't say it because it would allow me, it would enable me, it would require me to say words that I would not want to say in public, or private for that matter. But when he said those words, I turned around and I faced him. I had to face him in some sense. I asked him, I said, what did you just say? And he repeated it. I did not say anything derogatory to my dad, but I just said, you have to stop lying and saying these things about mom. And with that, my dad, who was shorter than me, 
about five foot five, but a lot heavier than me, 200 and some odd pounds. <coughs> Had his hands around my neck and against a wall, and these words then came out of my father's mouth, I'll kill you. I left quite alive, did not raise a hand in response to him, deeply wounded, Oftentimes, depression can be anger turned inward. Did you know that? Again, if you don't deal with your anger, your anger can deal with you. I left, went to the police, filed what, I filed what's known as a terroristic threat report. Did not see my father then for 13 years. For 13 years. Didn't know if he was alive probably didn't know if I was alive. My mother came to me one day, talked to me and said, listen, if you want to reconnect with your dad, you certainly can, and I did. And nine days before he passed away from pancreatic cancer, I had the opportunity, not only of reconciling with my father, because we had done that actually sometime beforehand, by the grace of God, but I had the opportunity of leading this very angry man who was very far from God to the feet of Jesus and he gave his life to Christ as his savior at 79 years old. Nine days later, he passed away and met the Jesus that he accepted for the very first time just nine days earlier. My father's life is an example of, of the destructive effect of anger and how it can destroy a family. It can destroy a relationship between a father and a son. I remember my father on his deathbed weeping and saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, please forgive me please forgive me. And when he put out his hand, when I was leading him in the sinner's prayer to give his life to Christ, I looked in almost disbelief. I wasn't prompting him to put his hands out. He put his hand out as if he was embracing Jesus. He was. And I'll tell you, I saw a transformation in my father over the next nine days that demonstrated to me that he had really found the Jesus who desired all kinds of great things for him that my father somehow thwarted because he let the anger, the unresolved issues with his father get the best of him. You don't want that in your life. Your wife doesn't want it if you're married. If you're single, your future wife, if you get married, doesn't want that. Your children don't want that. Your coworkers don't want it. Your boss doesn't want it. Unrighteous anger will destroy you. It's never going to help you. What do you do if you struggle Listen, you're going to, in the course of life, deal with unrighteous anger. You'll either deal with the tendency or the temptation yourself, or you will meet people who have anger issues. You might know them right now. You might be recognizing right now, you know what? You're talking to me. In the course of life, you are going to encounter this issue of unrighteous, unresolved anger, either in yourself or in others. You've got to know how to deal with it. First thing I want to recommend, James chapter 1, verse 22 says it this way, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Put it into practice. First thing you need to do is make reading the Bible, studying the Bible, contemplating the Bible a regular practice of your life. Now, here's one of the terrible tragedies that's happened in our country. We have confused education 
knowledge of the Bible with application of the Bible. How do I know that? Look at the condition of our country. We have so many Bible colleges, so many seminaries, so many amazing churches. You didn't have the choice of just going to one church here in Wisconsin. You have the opportunity of going to a variety of churches in any neighborhood that you might choose. It's not that we don't have the ability to learn what the Bible says. It's that we have confused knowledge of the Bible. We've confused education for application. You need to get serious about applying the Bible that you know. You don't have to go to Bible college or seminary. You don't have to think that other people can have a corner on Jesus and what the Bible says, and that's not for you. One of the greatest things that happened was the Protestant Reformation and the, the creation of the Gutenberg printing press. When the Bible was printed in the language of the day, and since then, languages of the day, you have the ability to have a personal word from God any and every time you want by just opening up the Bible. You can have as many experiences with Jesus Christ, the author, the living God, as you want. You've got to put the Bible into practice. That's one of the key things in dealing with an anger issue in your own life because God will speak to you through his word. It's the primary way that he speaks. But if you're not in the word, the word can't get into you. You have to be in the word in order for the word to get into you. So in your daily routine, your morning routine, your end-of-the-day routine, you need to have time carved out where you're in God's Word so God's Word can get into you. Secondly, what you need to do is maybe journal. Get a journal. Go out to Barnes & Noble. Go on Amazon. Get a journal. Get a blank journal and write how you feel about things. Write about those things that make you angry. And before you know it, the floodgates will open and you'll be able to process more. You might say to yourself, I don't know why I'm so angry. You might know somebody, you might know, they might not know why they're angry. You might not, it might be perplexing everybody. But journaling is a great way to get your mind uncorked, to get your heart uncorked, and to begin to process and to write things out. Use a journal. Write things out. Pray as you read the Bible. Pray as you journal. You don't have to become prolific in writing journal after journal after journal after journal. If you're concerned somebody might read your journal, then for Pete's sake, go out and buy a safe and lock your journal up. But get a journal and process and write. It can help you process your thoughts and deal with the anger so that the anger doesn't deal with you. Third thing you can do is you can write on a, a notebook, not a bound journal, but just write in a notebook the specific things that have angered you. Setbacks, which pave the way for comebacks. Things that happen to you that hurt you, whether it's a parent making a death threat, as I've explained, or whether it's a parent that neglected you, or something that happened to you when you were younger that shouldn't have happened to you, or an emotional form of abuse, a sexual or a physical form of abuse, you can write that out on a piece of paper, write out specifically what comes to light. If you ask God, God, why am I angry? Guess what? God, who desires a righteous life to flow out of you, he'll reveal it to you eventually. The deeper you dig, the more chances you have of finding gold. The more consistent you are in panning for gold, the greater your chances of finding it. Write out on a piece of paper those things that make you upset, get you angry. And you know, I did this. I went to a park one time when I realized when I met my wife and I was having difficulty committing to her. 
I realized I had some baggage. I went to a park and I wrote out from a past relationship years earlier, I wrote out some of the scars and some of the hurts that were there. I wrote out on a piece of paper all of those scars and those hurts and I prayed and I gave them to the Lord and then I took out a lighter and I held up that piece of paper and I literally lit that piece of paper on fire till it was consumed and I let go of it and the ashes were blown away by the wind. There's something cleansing about praying after you've really dealt with something thoroughly by writing it out and giving it over to God. Turning point in my life, turning point in my relationship with the woman who then became my wife. Turning point. Write it out. Commit it to God. Burn it. How often? Am I saying that you have to do that? It's a one and done? No, you might have to do it multiple times. You say, well, what good is that? Did you take a shower today? Did you take a bath Anytime recently, I highly recommend it. It's great for today, but haven't you noticed that you're probably going to need one tomorrow, and you'll probably need one the day after and the day after, as often as you need to deal with a forgiveness issue, as often as you need to deal with an issue that is at the root of your anger, then deal with it. If you need to go out and reverse this whole trend of a paperless society, and buy notebook after notebook after notebook and write in that notebook and burn in order to deal with whatever it is that's consuming you, then by all means do it. Because what's at stake is your vision for your life, God's vision for your life. Far worse than being blind is to have sight and no vision. You might need to enlist the help of a friend a brother in Christ. If you're a guy, you seek out a guy. If you're a girl, you seek out a girl. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, then don't seek out somebody of the same sex for that very reason. You've got to say those kinds of things these days, right? I'm not endorsing same-sex attraction. I'm just being real and saying, listen, when I married my wife, did my ability to recognize a hot 21-year-old girl in a bikini at the beach Go away? Do you have some kind of special dispensation that when you said, I do, you lost the ability to recognize a hot chick in tight pants when you're wherever, minding your own business, surfing the internet, when the clickbait is there being dangled in front of your face? I didn't want to look at, I didn't come here for that. They don't care. It's out there trying to reel you in simply because you have an attraction for whatever it might be doesn't mean you can't do anything about it. I made a covenant before God and before my wife to be faithful to her. Even though I can recognize beauty in another woman doesn't mean I'm hopeless and helpless. I can't help myself. I got to go after her. It's no different if you have same-sex attraction. If you have same-sex attraction, doesn't mean you have to act on it. I realize there's a whole host of other issues involved in that, but my point here to bring us back to the, the center is if you're a guy, you pick a guy. If you're a girl, you pick a girl. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, be aware of that and be cognizant of the fact you don't want anything to interfere with the ability to be honest with another person about whatever issue or issues you're dealing with so that they can come alongside of you and help you. Get some accountability. Get some camaraderie. I like that word better than accountability. Accountability reminds me, I'm going to 
tell you what to do, and I'm going to catch you when you do it wrong. And every time I see you, you know any you know, situations where it's like, every time I see you, how's it going with that sin issue? And your whole life becomes, your whole identity with that person, how's it going with that whatever it might be? And you're just like, ah. Get some camaraderie. And if you're that person that somebody has confided in, don't be a wuss. Don't be, to use the King James language, and ask and use whatever somebody shares with you in vulnerability and transparency against them. It's happened to me. I've seen it happen to other people. They've sat in my office as a pastor where they shared confidentially, shared transparently, shared openly, shared in brokenness, shared as a means of camaraderie, opened up their life and somebody then because the relationship fizzled out or there was a fallout, whatever it might be, violated their trust and went out and told other people. Don't be that idiot. If somebody confides in you, then be somebody that they can confide in. And if you don't have the ability to do that, then excuse yourself and tell them, you know what, I'm not the person for that, but I'll pray for you that you can find somebody. You might need to escalate it and go meet with a pastor. There are a couple of good pastors around here. Go meet with a pastor and confide in the pastor and get help from them. And sometimes you realize as a pastor, this issue might be over my head. You might need to seek a professional who can help you, a psychologist who loves Jesus Christ. I'm all for the Bible. But you've got to be careful that you don't have a cookbook approach, that it just comes down to reading the Bible and praying and if you just pray it away, prayer away keeps the devil away. You just have a simplistic, an overly simplistic idea of life. You might need some deeper work. And you might say it's expensive. Listen, the price that you will pay for not dealing with anger is too high to let it wreak havoc in your life, the life of your family, the life of your friends, and in your neighborhood. You need to have a vision for your life that is anger-free that is free from unrighteous anger. You need to be able to do all that you can, adjust everything in your life to get serious about the anger, the unrighteous anger that God does not desire. Man's anger does not bring about the, the righteous life that God desires. You need to adjust everything in your life, all your resources, all of your energy, all of your time, all of your focus, so that God's vision for your life a beautiful life, an abundant life, an amazing life, a fulfilling life, a life that you will love beyond your wildest imaginations isn't just a dream, but it becomes a reality. Far worse than being blind is to have sight with no vision. Let's pray. Our great God, our great Savior, we're grateful to you today. Thank you for my new friends my brothers in Christ, I pray that you'd strengthen them, encourage them, help them to take their next steps, either personally or with someone or people that they know, so that any expression of anger would be done appropriately and not in an unrighteous way. Lord, I pray that you would bless them, strengthen them, encourage them, and build them up for your glory and for your honor that they would take their next steps as brothers in Christ for your glory so that your vision would be unleashed in each of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
Guys, it's a pleasure. Look forward to hanging out with you out here and giving you high fives and getting to meet you too, okay?